Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, team. Thank you, William. Well, morning, church. Good to see you again. I mean, you're doing great. Thank you. Uh, listen, we have got a, a lot uh, of cool things today. Look, uh, sometimes uh, we have a special treat here at Double Oak. Uh, we support mission partners nationally and internationally all over the world. And sometimes those guys are in town, and we always love to take those opportunities to introduce them to you so you know some of the people that we support. We, we don't support just an endless number of people. We're very strategic with who we support, and we try to build long-term relationships. And this week, we have the joy uh, of having one of our partners with us. And so I want to invite Ian Thompson to come up and join with me on stage. Grab that mic, if you will. Uh, Ian Thompson uh, is the founder of Bringing Good News, uh, ministries. Uh, and listen, Ian very well uh, is, he very possibly is the most unique missionary that we support. Uh, a lot of missionaries are going to be based out of just one place. Ian has actually been working in multiple countries uh, for a really long time with a very eclectic ministry uh, that I've been able to kind of hear about and watch over the years. It's been amazing. So man, thank you for being here today. We're so glad to have you. I mean, how many years have you been in ministry? Uh, in 1998, I went to an orphanage uh, in Ukraine, so since 1998. Wow, so about 25 years. About, about 25 years. Yeah, so. uh, but Ukraine was, was really just the beginning. This started a journey for you of not just being there, but doing lots of different things. And so how many, how many countries are you currently working in? Uh, we're involved in about eight different countries. And, and those are not all the same type of ministry, are they? No. Uh, the purpose of the charity really is to advance the proclamation of the gospel, to relieve poverty, sickness, and suffering, to support self-sufficiency, and to encourage other people to care. So that's the framework of which we work in. I, I learned this in experiencing God back in the day. You want to find out where God is, and you want to join Him in it. And that's really kind of been what you've been doing in all of these different places, is yeah. finding where God is moving and then just trying to meet that need. Man, I know we don't have time today to talk about all of them. Tell us about a few of the things that you're working on. Okay, could we have the first picture? Uh, this is South Sudan, which is a broken country. And uh, uh, every leader I seem to meet in South Sudan said, please, Ian, could you help us? with the training of pastors. So we've done a number of different things, but we have focused on the training of pastors. This is a wheel a Bible school, a very simple, basic Bible school. Uh, but you can see there's 25 people there. And uh, so if you imagine in four years, uh, we will have put through 50 young people. And it seems to me one of the best things we can possibly do is the training of pastors and leaders for the future. So that's one of the things we do. And then next, I think we have Nepal. Yep, this is now Nepal. Again, this is just a slight sample of what we do. Uh, in Nepal, it's actually a very poor country. Uh, and many people uh, in Nepal go to work in India. But during COVID, the border was shut. And so people were very, very hungry. And in this picture, you can see Pastor Pramod. We support five pastors in, in Nepal. But uh, we did this feeding program. Uh, we fed uh, a thousand families with one bag of rice. And the repercussions of that is just a few weeks ago, three people walked at least two days to go to Pastor Pramod's uh, church and said that their village had been affected by a landslip, 28 families had been affected, and they said, we have heard that Christians help people. So we're also able to give them food and blankets and help them. And then the third one, 
Uh, we are now in Pakistan. This is actually a slightly old picture, a little girl called Rikpa. I don't know how old you think Rikpa is, but I would put her about 10 years old. And I would imagine looking around, most of us are older than 10 years old. But you imagine that since a young age, your whole life has been making bricks, and that's all you do. No education, no hobbies, you can't read, you can't write, and your whole life is just making bricks because you're an indentured slave uh, to the brick kiln owner. So what did we do? We uh, supported about 14 or 15 Sunday schools. We have started 10 schools in the brick kilns. Uh, we have set so far, including Rick Bud's family, 73 families free. We're, walking, we're working on the fourth one. And from this ministry, um, we have also, uh, the moderator of the Presbyterian Church um, said to me, he said, Ian, please can you help us? We are in serious trouble. He said, 150 pastors, these are poor pastors, poor Christian pastors. The people are mainly lay uh, day workers and they can't afford to support the pastor very much. He said, we as an organization have not been able to support our pastor for six months. No money for six months. And uh, he said, uh, could you help? I know it sounds absolutely pathetic, but we gave $12 to 150 pastors. And we are now giving $3.50 to 150 pastors each month. So that just gives you a slight idea of some of the work we're doing. And if you want to learn more, <laughs> on Wednesday evening, I think it's at the cafe, is it? On Wednesday evening, I'll be sharing a little bit more uh, with Tom Cash. So, thank you. Yeah, and I do hope that you'll come. When we uh, kick off Double Oak University, Tom Cash is going to be doing a class on mission. And, uh, and so, since uh, Ian is here, he's going to be here. And I've actually gotten a chance to sit in and, and hear the full stories and ask questions and hear what's going on. It's fascinating what is happening. Uh, and look, we've got friends here. Uh, our, our brother, Fred Judd, who's part of our church, has been working with Ian for 24 years. He's been to four of the eight countries on site, working with Ian, seeing all this unfold over the years. Uh, it's an eclectic ministry, but an impactful ministry. So I do hope that you'll come back uh, at this Wednesday, hear from him. He'll also be out in the comments afterwards today. If you want to know more about his ministry and what he's doing, but man, this is just one of our partners that we get to support. I mean, we are so thankful. For I am very thankful to you. So thank you. <laughs> uh, just for all the and Lord. all of you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, we get to participate in his ministry and what the Lord is doing through him. And so I do hope you'll take the opportunity to get to know him better. But we want to but just pray for you even now uh, before you head to a community group. So bow your heads with me, if you will. Thank you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you call us for specific moments and specific time to do specific things. And you have crafted such a unique life and unique opportunities for Ian. Uh, and Lord, in each of these places where you've placed him, to partner with our brothers and sisters in these eight countries. Lord, you've done amazing work, and I know you have more work to do. Uh, Lord, these are, are, are folks whose names other people might not remember, but Ian does. Uh, and Lord, you've put him there as your hands and feet to help spur on your work. Lord, we pray a blessing on him, on each of the projects that Bringing Good News is involved in right now. God, you would give wisdom to know exactly how to lean in and help in each unique circumstance. You would provide funds and resources. Lord, just stamina for him and all the people that he works with. 
Lord, that we could continue to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we're grateful for our time with our brother. We pray a blessing upon him and we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And we all said, amen. 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 Can we honor Ian and just thank him for being here today? Thank you, my friend. Listen, don't miss the opportunity to, to meet Ian and get to know him. But grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 is where we're going to be as we continue our sermon series called Treasure. We started in this passage, and I hope that you're continuing to meditate on these verses to really find out, hey, what is my treasure? We're going to finally get to the spot where we start talking about our money, but before we ever get there, we got to dig deeper. we got to go underneath and ask the question, what is my treasure? What is it that I truly value? Because that's where our hearts are going to be. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 is where we'll be in just a second. While you were turning there, uh, there is a skill that we all have to learn in life uh, if we ever have any chance of truly maturing. If you want to succeed in life in any way, shape, or form, students, if you want to grow up, there's a skill that all of us have to learn, and that skill is delayed gratification. If you want to have any sort of maturity, we are going to have to learn how to say no to ourselves in the present so we can say yes to ourselves in the future. We say no to a pleasure in the present so we can say yes to a greater pleasure in the future. And that's hard sometimes because it's hard to say no to something that's right here in front of you. But this is the only way you can have greater pleasures and greater blessings in the future. This is the whole concept behind saving for retirement, by the way. Right? Why should we save some of our money and not spend it now, but instead I'm going to put it away even though I'm not going to be able to use it maybe for decades? Why would I do that? Well, because if I say no to spending that money now through the magic of compound interest, that money is going to grow and be way larger when I finally draw it out 30, 40, 50 years from now than if I spent it now. This is also true if you serve on any sort of a team. This is the concept of practice. Why would I go to practice? You don't win a game. Why do you go to practice? It's not very fun. Well, I'm going to say no to myself now, and I'm going to practice. I'm going to do something again and again. I'm going to submit myself to a coach. Why? Because then I can learn a skill. I can grow. I can get better. I actually can do something that I could not do before. So I say no to myself and do something a little bit unpleasant in the present. Why? So I get a greater blessing in the future. The Lord says to all of us, he says, hey, listen, you're supposed to reserve sex for marriage, right? We're supposed to respect the marriage bed. And so if you're going to do that, you have to say no to yourself in the present. Why? So you can say yes in the future. God says, this is how I have designed you. This is what is, will, will lead you to human flourishing. And so we have to say no to temptations in the present only so that we can say yes here in the future to experience what God has designed us for. And so all of these are requiring delayed gratification. But there's a trick, and it's important. The only way delayed gratification works is if you think the prize is worth it. The only way we'll ever actually say no to ourselves in the present, to say yes to ourselves in the future, is if that future is worth it to us. But if we don't think it's worth it, we will always give in to the temptation in the present. 
We, we won't say no to ourselves. Instead, we'll simply say yes, and we will forego whatever that future blessing was going to be. Now, this is important when it comes to our money and really just our lives, because Jesus says something very specific here that requires us to think about this future. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We looked at these verses a couple weeks ago. But let's really look at them again and see what he's saying here. Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so Jesus is asking for delayed gratification. He says, do not lay up treasures in heaven. You should forego that. Why? So that you can lay up treasures in heaven. Well, that's clearly in the future. That's beyond. So we have to say no to ourselves here so we can say yes to ourselves in the future. He's giving us the promise of a greater blessing. But remember the trick. The only way you and I will ever actually say no to ourselves in the present, say yes to ourselves in the future, is if we believe that that blessing is worth it. That that future blessing is of greater value. It's, it's of more joy than anything I could have temporarily in the present. And so this begs the question that we need to look at today. What are those heavenly treasures? We've said this verse multiple times. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, what does he mean by that? You ever thought about it? We say, well, that's heaven. Yeah, I know it's heaven, but like beyond that, have you ever really thought this through? Because Jesus is giving us a, an option here. He says, you can actually lay up treasures in heaven. What does he mean? What is he actually talking about? Because if we don't know what that is, if we can't even conceive of it, or certainly if we don't think that it's valuable, we will never actually experience these treasures. We will just spend everything here in the present. And so this morning, we're going to look at this question. Okay, what are these treasures? But before I can even answer that question, you might be asking a different question. You might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Adam, I thought we all get the same thing. Don't we all go to heaven? Like, like if we're saved, don't we, don't we all go? Like if anybody's given their life to the Lord, don't we all go to heaven? I just thought we all got the same thing. We all go to paradise. We all go to heaven. We all enjoy the Lord. Don't we all get the same reward? And the answer to that question is both yes and no. It's both yes and no. And so let's break that down. First off, the answer to that is clearly yes. We, we all receive the same reward. When it comes to our salvation, we all receive the same thing for a very important reason. Because we are saved by grace and not by works. We don't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. What we have deserved is sin and death. What we deserve are the consequences of our actions. We deserve to be separated from God. But God, in his infinite mercy, said, I'm not gonna bring that condemnation and wrath upon you. In his grace towards us, Jesus gives his life for us. He pays for our sin. And then instead of that, he gives us eternal life. He just lavishes it on us. We don't deserve anything. This is that mercy and grace we talked about last week. God just gives it to us. 
He doesn't give us 90% and we supply the last 10%. It is complete and total gift. God just gives salvation to us. And so we all receive that blessing. As believers in Christ, if you have surrendered your own life and said, God, save me, he just gives us this eternal life. And look, this is an amazing blessing. There are a lot of different things that mark this life in Christ that we're all going to get to share. The most important thing is this. We are going to be in Christ for all of eternity. You are going to be in Christ for all of eternity. He says, where I am, there you also will be. He's preparing a place for us that he might dwell with us forever. We're gonna live in Christ for all of eternity. We will be perfectly in him. He is perfectly in us. We will be in Christ. This is going to be unbelievable and transforming in all ways. On top of that, we are going to be like him. We're gonna have a transformed body. When you and I find ourselves in glory, we're going to have a resurrected body. You and I don't go as spirits up into heaven. No, when Jesus rose from the grave, he rose physically from the grave. He had a brand new resurrection body. It was different, but it was physical. You and I will receive a resurrection body that will never wear out. No aging, no creaking of the joints, no broken bones, no cancer, no disease, no anything. You and I get a brand new body that will not spoil nor fade for all of eternity. Furthermore, we are going to be completely sinless. Jesus will have eradicated all sin, all death, all all of the evil of this world. It is all gone. No more fighting the flesh. No more fighting our own desires. No, all of our desires are gonna be in line with Christ because remember, Christ is in us and we will be in Christ. He loves us. We will love him. We will love one another. There will not be any more sin whatsoever. Thirdly, you're gonna get to see him as he is. We don't see him now. We live by faith and not by sight. But when you and I get into glory, we will finally see him for who he is. You will be able to look with physical eyes and see Jesus Christ. He will be in the most beautiful, most awe-inspiring, most love-inspiring, most jaw-dropping, most incredible image you have ever seen. Imagine the most incredible sight that you've ever seen in your entire life and just multiply it by infinity. This is what it's like to be able to see Christ face to face, to be able to speak to him, to converse with him, to be right there with him. But it goes even deeper than that. This is not just physical sight. To see Christ means that you actually get to see him in all of his glory. We couldn't do that right now. You guys know that there are things that you and I just can't see in the physical world, right? Our eyes see on a certain wavelength. We can see a spectrum of color, but we don't see all the color. We don't see infrared rays. We don't see x-rays. There are things that are happening. We just can't see whatsoever. What happens when God allows you to see the fullness of Christ's glory? You can see the fullness of who he is. This is the beatific vision. This is just what is going to transform everything. We get to be with him. We will be like him. We get to see him as he is. We will be feasted and entertained. We don't even know exactly what this means, but Jesus speaks about this. He says, listen, when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. They throw a party, so they know how to throw a party. Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm not going to, at the Last Supper, he says, I'm not going to eat of, the, of, the, of this bread or drink of the fruit of the vine until I do this again with you in the kingdom. 
Revelation tells us about the, the, the wedding feast between Christ and the church. It's going to be a feast. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a celebration. You and I are going to enjoy this amazing celebration that we are going to have. And then on top of that, there's all the other images of, of streets of gold and the tree of life and the, the pearly gates. I mean, there's all these incredible, colorful pictures of how we are going to live all amongst the nations, all there together, all of us living in harmony. This is the future you and I get to experience if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. For anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, this is the blessing God just gifts to us. He just bestows it upon us and says, I give you eternal life by my grace. He just gives it to us. And yes, we all receive that same blessing. But there's a flip side of that coin where the Lord says, in addition to all of that, there are going to be differing levels of rewards given to different individuals. And that ought to make sense to us, right? I mean, there's an intuitive sense to that, uh, that there's going to be a difference between the thief on the cross who was saved for, I don't know, like 10 minutes, and, and Mother Teresa who gave her entire life to the Lord, that, that we would all share in salvation together, but that there would be a difference in the honor that would be given based on what they have done, but some of us might just say, well, Adam, isn't Christ enough? I mean, isn't if I, just having Jesus enough? He, he is, but, but look at what God is doing. He's, he's showing us all these pictures. He's showing us all these different facets of, of what life in Christ would be like, but then he's also going to bring honor to those who have served him. Now, this is, a, this is a controversial concept. There's some people who go, nope, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about there being differing levels of rewards for differing people. And so I want to show you a ton of scriptures, all right? So if you're taking notes, buckle up, right? Get your pen out. about to show you a ton of stuff because I need to show you this isn't just in one passage. This is like everywhere all throughout the New Testament where Jesus speaks to us about these things because we need to see how prevalent it is, all right? So let's start here in Matthew 25 verses 20 and 21. This is the parable of the talents. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. A guy gives people five, two, or one talent. The two first guys, they double their money. The third guy just kind of sits on it. Uh, look what he says here. He says, and he received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then skip down now to verse 28 when he's talking to the one guy who didn't do anything. He says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. And so the Lord is saying, even to those who have blessing, I'm going to add even more interesting, but he says there are consequences for how we live and how we use what we have. Go to the next one. Uh, this is Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Interesting. So we're going to have things that are ours 
uniquely. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4. Now, this is the same chapter that we're in right now. So you can actually probably look to the left and kind of see this right where you are. Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, this is interesting. If you read chapter 6, he will repeat that same promise three times. It's in the same chapter where he's telling us to lay up heavenly treasures. And he just promised three different times to reward us. Interesting. Let's go to the next one. This is Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple... Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now look, if everybody just gets the same thing, then these verses don't make any sense. If everybody gets exactly the same thing, this is, this is nonsensical. Jesus is going to pains to say, yes, there are rewards for the things that we do. Go to the next one. Here's Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Again, cause and effect. You see what he's doing here. Go to the next one. Here's Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. This is the rich young ruler passage. And look at the link here between giving things there for future rewards. Those are heavenly rewards, not earthly rewards. All of these are words of Jesus. Now go to the next one. Let's move on to Paul. What does Paul say about this? And the other gospel writers, well, look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. That's the day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is not talking about our salvation. This is on top of that salvation. This is on top of that blessing. Our work will be tested. And yes, if it survives, there is a reward to be had. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is interesting. Look, if there is anybody who goes to incredible pains to remind us again and again that we are saved by grace and not by works, it's Paul. He says this everywhere. He'll spend entire books talking about this. We are saved by grace and not by works. And yet here Paul is saying this, listen, we're going to have to come before the judgment seat that each one may receive what is due. What is that? If he's already given us a salvation, we do not deserve. Go to the next one. Here's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. There's those heavenly rewards. So that, he may t- so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Go to the next one. Here's 2 John verse 8. Now, so we got John now, not Paul. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Then go to the next one. Here's the writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then guess what happens? In the next few verses, he talks about the hall of faith and all these people, including Moses. Look at the next one. Here's Hebrews eleven twenty six. Moses considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And that theme actually comes through all of Hebrews chapter 11. And so look, you've got all of these different scriptures. They're saying, yes, we receive salvation in Jesus Christ. But there is going to be some sort of riches, some sort of treasure that comes from honoring him by, by choosing the Lord to say no in the, in the present, to say yes in the future. It is possible to lay up treasures in heaven. So what are we talking about here? Like, what does that actually even mean? Like, what are these treasures that we're looking for? Well, look, it's not going to be the treasures of this world. I think we really need to kind of get our minds out of that mindset. We're not talking about coinage. We're not talking about money. This is something very different. In fact, before we talk about what these rewards are, let's talk about something that they are not. How many of y'all heard that there are, we're going to have mansions in heaven? How many of y'all heard this, right? You're going to have mansions in glory. I hate to break this to you. That is not true. Okay, so uh, I'm so sorry if you are a heavenly real estate agent. Um, that, that's, that's not happening. You say, well, Adam, why does everybody think that? Well, in John 14, verse 2, uh, the King James translates that as like Jesus says, I go to prepare uh, mansions for you. All right, I, I, in my, my father's house are many mansions. In, in modern translations, though, it doesn't say the word mansions. In fact, the King James is the only one that says mansions. Uh, in he, our translation, it says rooms. Because what the word means there in the Greek is, is a dwelling place. It's emphasizing the imminence of Christ, that he's going to be with us. The point is not that we're all going to get these mansions, but instead that God is going to be with us. We live with him, right? He is with us. Furthermore, they're all in the Lord's house, not these individual houses. And so there's not actually going to be different mansions in glory. And that's actually very helpful, because when you think about having mansions, it feels like icky, right? If you really start thinking about it, does it ever bother you? Or you think about, like, like what's it going to be like in heaven? Is there like a billionaire's row where all the really like super righteous people get to live? And then I'm like over here in my little hovel in the Christian ghetto, right? You know, <laughs> hanging over here in like, you know, a heavenly skid row. I don't know what that's like, right? I'm sure the rats are nicer. You know, I mean, like, am I hanging out over here? Meanwhile, you know, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa are living it up over here, right? Is that really what is we? No, that's actually not in Scripture. So we can just kind of take that concept and kind of put it to the side. Heavenly rewards are not about me having more money and you having less money and thus comparing. It's something totally different, but they are true rewards. These are things that Jesus says, you ought to be laying these up. You would want these heavenly treasures, 
And so look, I can't even tell you fully what they are. What Scripture is doing is, with all these different images, it's trying to give us facets. It's trying to give us an an understanding of something that we can't fully comprehend yet, and yet they are incredibly valuable. So here's the things that we do know to be the case. Uh, Part of this treasure are going to be heavenly crowns. Now, what does that mean? Well, Scripture talks about this in multiple fashions. They talk about the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of gold. And look, that's hard for us as 21st century Westerners, right? Because nobody wears crowns anymore. In fact, if somebody offered you a crown, you wouldn't take it. Why? It's gaudy, right? Nobody wears crowns. But in Jesus' day, you would absolutely have taken a crown. What did a crown mean then? Well, it meant glory. It meant honor. It meant authority. It meant dignity. They're made of precious metals and precious stones, and so they're incredibly valuable to, to wear a crown entailed so much more than just money. This is a glory that comes with it. The Lord says, I'm going to give crowns to you. We, we give them all back to the Lord because we couldn't have achieved anything without him anyway, but he is going to bestow these crowns upon us. In addition to that, there's authority. There's going to be different places where we will exercise authority. Scripture says that the apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He says to us that we are going to judge the angels. I don't know what that looks like or how that's going to work out, but we're actually going to have a job in judging the angels. In the parable of the Minas, he says, listen, you've been faithful over little. I'll set you over five cities. I'll set you over 10 cities. There's this picture of us exercising authority in God's kingdom. Heaven is not this simple, trinkety kind of place. It is a vast, sprawling, amazing kingdom. And the Lord says, yes, I'm going to bestow honor, authority on different people because you've been faithful in a little. You can also be faithful in much. And so there's authority. He also talks about true riches. Now, again, I don't think there's actually any currency in heaven. I don't think it's going to work like it is now, but he says, listen, there's going to be true riches that you can experience, true riches that you get to enjoy. And and again, this is not in in some sort of spending kind of way, but these are things that we would all find to be valuable. We would all find real value in these things. But look, value in the kingdom is very different. You can see that in the streets of gold metaphor, right? Right? Uh, we say we're going to be paved on streets of gold. I, I don't actually think there's going to be real streets of gold because if they are, that seems gaudy to me, right? I don't know if I want to do that. What, well, then why is he talking about streets of gold? What, what's, what's the picture? The picture is, is that the thing that we value the most here, the, the thing that, that we say this is most valuable, no matter what country you're a part of, the thing that we see is most valuable, this is the asphalt of the kingdom. We use it to pave roadways. If Scrooge McDuck could actually get himself saved, and bring his entire swimming pool worth of gold, that he would always swim in. If he could bring all that up to glory, as soon as he got to the gates, the angels were like, man, so glad you were here. We've got two new streets that need to be paved. All that money's useless in heaven. But the things that we find valuable, they're different. You get to have true riches. Well, the only thing that's the most valuable is the Lord. And so the Lord says, I'm going to give you even more of an experience of me, more glory, more of an opportunity. You get to experience more of him. You get true riches is what he is offering to us when we choose him and not the ways of this world. And then finally, greater glory. We get a greater glory. He says, I'm transforming you from one degree of glory to another. He says, I want to bestow glory and honor upon you. We all get to experience the glory of the Lord. We get to share in that glory. But for, based on what we have done, the Lord says, I want to bestow 
greater glory on different people. And so these are these heavenly rewards. And Jesus says these are so valuable that you should not lay up treasures for yourself here on earth. Instead, you should be seeking to lay up these treasures in heaven because these are so much more value than, valuable than anything you could get in this world. But how does that feel to you? Like, how does it feel to know that there are these treasures in heaven? And that some people will actually have more treasures than others. They have a different kind of treasure than maybe you and I will. And you might have more of these true treasures than maybe somebody else will. For some of us, we just kind of go, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't know. There's a part of that just feels like, how is that going to work? I mean, how does that, is that okay? Like, is it, is it okay to want heavenly rewards? I don't know, maybe I should just say, I just want Jesus. I, that's all I want is Jesus, right? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be enough that I just want Jesus? Is it even okay to say that I should desire these heavenly rewards? Well, Jesus says it is, and, and for a very specific reason. Uh, C.S. Lewis really works this out in his essay uh, called The Weight of Glory, where he said, look, there's, there's different types of rewards. There are some rewards that are connected to what you're chasing after, and then there are other rewards that are disconnected. As long as the reward is connected, you, you should have no fear. It would be like somebody uh, who says, I want to get married, right? And so he says, but I can't get married yet. I can't afford a ring. I, I can't really support a family yet. So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to do a lot of work. Why? Because I want to be married. Man, I want to be with my beloved. And so after all of that work, he actually gets his reward. And the reward is the marriage. He gets to be with his beloved, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with that to say, I desire this. And that's a proper desire. But it would be different if he was just marrying that woman for her money. Now we got a different scenario. Now I'm just going to work, I got to work hard, I got to make sure I, I get this marriage. He doesn't really care about the beloved, he cares about something else. I really want the treasure. I don't want the person, I want the treasure. Okay, now that's mercenary, that's mean, that's cruel, that would not be okay. Same thing for a soldier. Right? If a soldier says, hey, listen, I'm going to fight for my homeland. I'm going to defend my family, my homeland. And so I'm going to go out. I'm looking for a victory. We're going to fight for a victory. If he gains that victory, he has what he looked for. He has protected his family. He has done what he set out to do. The victory itself is enough. Compare that to an actual mercenary who is hired to fight and saying, listen, I'll fight whoever you want me to fight. As long as you pay me, I'll win the battle. I don't care about your country. I don't care about your cause. I don't care about it. I'm just here to fight so I can get the money you're going to give me. Okay, now that reward is unconnected from its object. The thing for us is we can seek after heavenly rewards as, all, rewards as long as we recognize that all of these rewards are in Christ Jesus. All of these rewards are in Christ Jesus. When you recognize that all of these things that he's offering to us, these, these treasures, these, these riches, they are all in Christ himself. You can always desire Christ. But when you and I desire something else instead, we say, listen, heaven is great. Jesus is great. But what I really want is just to see my lost loved ones. What I really want is to have a little heaven all to myself. Uh, what I really want is just for people to leave me alone. And you could care less whether Jesus was a part of your heaven or not. Okay, now, now we've gone off the reservation. Now we've stepped aside. We've gone into seeking a reward that is disconnected from Christ himself. But it's okay. When it's a godly goal, it is absolutely worth chasing after. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Here's Jesus. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had a reward in mind. Jesus had a goal in mind. And he says, I'm chasing after that goal. That is a worthwhile goal. And he is seeking after that reward. Why? It's all bound up with his father. It's all bound up in glory. So all of that is bound up together. But here's the second concern. You might say, yeah, but Adam, if, if people have differing levels of rewards, won't people get jealous? Like if people have different levels of rewards, won't they get jealous of one another? Actually, no, because remember, we've all been perfected. Sin is gone. Jealousy is gone. There's not gonna be any sense where where I'm gonna be mad or angry because somebody has more or less. That's not the way that these treasures work. And please realize everything is different. The last will be first and the first will be last. Don't you understand that the most holy among us are gonna be the most humble? That the most holy among us are the most servant-hearted. Jesus Christ, the highest and greatest king, came not to be served, but to serve. Those who are put in authority are gonna spend their lives in glory, serving and loving everyone else. And it will be our joy and glory to honor them for what the Lord has given to them. It will make me happier for that to be so. It will make them happier in order to be able to serve like their savior serves. There's no concern or worry about jealousy or greed moving in. These are all part of the old world and they have all been wiped away so these do not threaten that purity but still you might say Adam yeah all right well Adam I still don't fully understand this I just don't even know if this is really all that helpful for me here's why this is so incredibly important for us to understand I, I honestly don't worry about us like figuring these things out and desiring heavenly rewards too much I don't think that's really the, the problem for us here is the problem for us I think the bigger problem is that because we don't really see these things, we don't value them. And because we don't value them, we will find ourselves distracted by this world instead. Because we don't really know what these rewards are. We don't value them. We're not willing to delay our gratification. We're not willing to say no to ourselves in the present, to say yes in the future. And because you don't value these rewards, we basically say, well, you know what? Uh, This is good enough. I mean, look, we're all getting saved, right? Heaven sounds good enough. I don't know what that extra stuff is, but I do know what these things are. How about eat, drink, and be merry? Because who knows what else is going to happen? I might as well spend it all here. Who knows? I got heaven good enough for me. And you are missing out on what the Lord is offering to us. Look at what C.S. Lewis says in that same uh, essay I told you about. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. The Lord is offering us heavenly treasures that are infinite joy and instead of laying up those treasures we are too busy amassing earthly treasures here if you don't think those treasures are valuable you will never seek after them and instead we will waste our money our time our talent our resources our treasure on earthly things that do not matter and we do it all the time 
How many of you guys have been to Dave and Buster's? Anybody been to Dave and Buster's? Anybody? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, we go. You know what Dave and Buster's is? How many of you do not know what Dave and Buster's is? Anybody? No, you don't know? Okay, you should check it out. How, let's try, how many of you have been to Chuck E. Cheese, right? Chuck E. Cheese, right? Oh, there you are. All right, my people. I found you. All right. Now I know where you all are hanging out on Friday nights. All right, so. Uh, look, I grew up going to Chuck E. Cheese. Dave and Buster's is like an adult arcade. It's like a grown-up Chuck E. Cheese, okay? Uh, where it's over at the Galleria. They got all these like big video games and stuff, uh, and they're all massive. But but just like Chuck E. Cheese, they got skee-ball, you know, the whole thing. And, and when you go and play these games, they give you something special. If you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you play skee-ball, you get tickets. Yes, you've all been. Okay, so... And look, it's fun. If you've not played skee-ball in a while, it's fun, right? You go play skee-ball, and, and there is like a, a really weird joy when you start seeing those tickets kind of come spitting out of the thing. That's joyous. You see them, blah, blah, just come on out, out, and you're sitting there, <laughs> and you grab them all, right? Because the goal is to get as many tickets as possible because at the back of Dave & Buster's or Chuck E. Cheese, at the back of all these places, they have a store, right? And you can take all these tickets to buy junk, <laughs> worthless, useless junk. But when you are trapped in that beautiful dark room, it doesn't seem like junk. You walk in and you found heaven. All of a sudden, you need these little weird tricks, these novelties, this weird stuffed animal, this weird keyboard that's not going to work for more than like a minute and a half. That, that weird, like, you know, Garth Brooks box set of CDs has been gathering dust up there for like 40 years as a PlayStation for four billion tickets. I could get it, right? You can, you can have all this stuff. And you're like, I got to get this stuff. And so you got to run back out and play more skee-ball to get more tickets to rush in. And you buy all these things. You can get nerd ropes. You can't buy nerd ropes anywhere else. You can get them there, right? You can get all this junk and it's glorious and you enjoy it until the worst moment possible is when you have that armload of stuff and you walk out into the broad daylight and realize that you're a moron <laughs> and you have just wasted so much money for things you wouldn't pay a dollar for. You just spent hours and way more than a dollar to get the tickets to buy this stuff to come out here. And like, what have I done? Because they don't matter. Once you get out of that box, it doesn't matter as much. You're saying, Adam, that is silly. I don't play games like that. I would never do anything like that. I don't know. Because guess what? Every one of you has a store just like that in your home. When you go home today, you can go to that store. It's called your garage. <laughs> or your closet. Or your storage unit. Because there's not enough space in your house for your junk. You pay to keep the junk that doesn't fit in your house. Why are we doing this? Well, we like the tickets. We looked good. And we're wasting our time on earthly treasures that do not matter when infinite joy is offered to us. Look back at the passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, I'll give you two promises. The first is this. All of the things we value and all of the earthly treasures we chase after, they are all going to fade away. All of them. They're already fading away. 
They're already losing their value. They will never satisfy. Promise to. Jesus offers us eternal, heavenly rewards, and he says they are absolutely worth it. So the question is, what kind of treasures are you laying up? So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And the head's bowed and eyes closed. Let's just ask that question. What treasures are you laying up? What are you amassing? What captures your heart? And says, I need this. This is most valuable. This is most important. Could it be that instead of really thinking about eternal treasures that can never fade away, we're, we're all wrapped up in our houses and our cars and our clothes and our decorations and our boats and our stuff. And look, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But there's no life there. Not any life that lasts. And to every single one of you, Jesus is offering not only salvation, but eternal rewards that you cannot lose and that are absolutely worth it. Your Savior says they're worth it. So even if we don't understand fully what they are, would we not trust Him? He said, God, if you say this is worth it, I trust you to say no to these earthly treasures that I might say yes to yours. And so, Father, change our vision, change our heart. Kind of just help us to see in these, these glimpses, these, these, this imagery, God, just the, the things that we can't fully understand, but you know you're already there and you know what our future can be like. You know what's most valuable. And so, Lord, would you help us? Instead of pouring our hearts into things that don't last, to instead pour our hearts chasing after you because you do last. And in you is all joy itself. Lord, help us to chase after you. Thank you for this offer of not only salvation, but eternal rewards that we do not deserve. God, thank you for this opportunity. In your name we pray.